The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 167 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. So glad to have you back with us this week. Before we jump into this week's conversation, as always, we want to thank our reviewers. We had two new five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts this week. Uh, the usernames are Walking Great Grandma and M. Alderman. Thank you so much for your kind words, Walking Great Grandma. Very specifically, talked about last week with Anna Katia, and actually, we just had an incredible response on Anna's episode, which does not surprise me in the least. She is so amazing. And uh, M. Alderman left us a review. I love the title of it. Where has this been? Because <laughs> they just discovered the podcast. We've been here, but we're glad you're here with us now. And thank you again for taking the time to uh, do those reviews. Uh, this week, my guest on the show, Leisha Kreider, has a new book out. And I was so fascinated. Leisha's very easy to talk to. And I'm so grateful that she took the time and we'll talk about uh, anxiety a little bit and how the gospel can help us with it. It's just fantastic. And this week in my Latter-day life, it's Mother's Day. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And this week here on the Latter-day Lives podcast, my guest is a new author of a really incredible new book. And I have to give a quick backstory that uh, I had been out of town. I got home. I went out to the mailbox, opened up the mail. There was this package there that I was not expecting. I had no idea what it was. And I opened it up. And here was the book and a really nice card from our guest today, Leisha Kreider. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Well, thank you for sending me the book. And we're going to talk all about it in a little bit because it's a beautiful book. But before we do, as you know, we've got to get to know you. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up. You bet. Absolutely. I was lucky enough to grow up in Michigan, beautiful place, and mm. I lived there until I was 12. Whereabouts um, in Michigan were you? So I lived just outside of Lansing. And oh, so it's beautiful. a great place to be as a kid. It's not maybe so great as an adult when you're out shoveling snow and doing all the hard work. But as a kid, you know, great, beautiful place to play. Yeah. Were you raised in the church? I was. My parents converted shortly after they got married. So they were members of the church before I was born. And so I have seven brothers and sisters. And uh, yeah, we all grew up in the church. So Yeah. So when you were uh, a kid, you you probably have some decent memories of when you were in Lansing. Uh, How how far did you have to travel for church? Um, I believe it was about a half hour drive. To yeah. get to church, and if my parents wanted to go to the temple, they went to Washington D.C. From Lansing to Washington yeah. <laughs> D.C., how far was that? I have no idea, but it was far. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is a long, long drive. Yeah, I think it's got to be special for people who go through that to hear twenty temples announced. Has just got to be mind blowing because of the the, closer, the amount of travel. Yeah, yes, the closer it gets to your hometown, the more excited you get, and. And in fact, my son served his mission in Singapore. So when they announced Singapore at the last oh. conference, he just screamed and was so excited. So, <laughs> Oh, that is awesome. Love it. So what were you into when you were growing up? 
Oh, I'm going to sound like such a geek if I tell you that, but I was just <laughs> like, I love to read. I love to write. I um, play the violin. I mean, I sound like such a nerd, but Those that, are the was best. <laughs> that was That's me. That's what every parent wants their kids to do. Yeah. I was awesome. just like growing up, I was just quiet, shy, you know, in my little corner with a book, I was and a piece of cinnamon toast and I was very happy. So <laughs> I think that's what we all want from our kids. Yeah. <laughs> so nothing wrong with that. You turn 10, uh, you end up moving. Where'd you go? Well, I was 12 and we oh, 12. moved from Michigan to Arizona, which was a pretty big move, but my mom's family was out here and it was a good move for me because, um, like I just mentioned, I was a really shy little girl. I struggled with separation anxiety at that point in my mm-hmm. life and, and just had a hard time with school and all of that. And so when we moved to Arizona, it was like a three-day drive. I had a lot of time to think. and I decided that in Arizona, nobody knew me and they didn't know that I was shy and that I didn't like to be at school and everything. So um, I decided that I was going to be a different person when we got to Arizona. And I spent most of seventh grade trying to figure that out. It wasn't easy. <laughs> yeah. But um, in eighth grade, I got a progress report that got me in just a little bit of trouble at home. But it was probably the proudest moment of my life because the box that my teacher had marked said, talks too much in class. <laughs> <laughs> and that was just like, okay, I've made it. I did it. I changed myself. And <laughs> I love that. And I had a lot more fun after that. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. So 12 is quite an age to move. So you went from quiet Leisha primary in Michigan to outgoing, gregarious, young woman Leisha in Arizona. I really did, yeah. Was it a culture shock? Because Arizona, for our listeners who aren't as familiar with Arizona, um, after Utah and then probably Idaho, and I don't even know about Idaho, Arizona is the the heaviest Latter-day Saint population in the country. Um, Was that a little bit of culture shock? Well, I think mostly it was great for me. I mean, when I moved in, we hadn't been in our house for more than a few hours before some of the young women were over inviting me to go to the temple with them, that they had a temple thing planned on that weekend. And, and, you know, when I started seminary, I could do it during the middle of the school day and my older brothers and sisters had gone like, a, you know, 530 in the morning or some horrible thing like that. So um, it was wonderful for me. I, I don't I don't think I would even call it shock. I think I would just call it like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> and and no more snow. And no more snow, which I mean, it, it gets kind of hot here, but but I love it. I've lived in Mesa since I was 12. I never left. Awesome. Awesome. So you become a teenager. What would, did, did your interest shift at all? Or were you still doing a ton of reading and art and, and violin and whatnot? Yeah, no art for me. Don't throw that in there. Cause then people will want me to draw them pictures <laughs> or something. <laughs> That's probably one of my least skills. Oh, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, music, um, um, a little speech and debate, which is just even more nerdy, but I, I like doing speeches. I didn't do debate. That was too scary for me, but, um, you know, the shy side of me is still there. It didn't go away completely. So sure. debate is a little too much on the spot, you know, too much thinking on the spot. And, and I, I like to write, so I get to plan what I'm going to say when I'm writing. And so that suits me a lot better. Um, and other things, you know, I, I blush really easily. That has stayed with me. I think that's part of my shy childhood that anything can set me off. It, there doesn't even have to be a reason. And I'll just blush. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, <laughs> 
So it stayed with me. But no, I stuck with the violin all through high school and um, even a little bit into college and um, always have loved to read and write. So and still obviously still obviously do that. (laughs) Sure. Apparently Uh, we will get into that. But uh, did you stay active through your through your teen years or were you rebellious? Well, I stayed active. I'm not going to say that I didn't give my parents any problems. <laughs> sure. Know, I was a teenager. But it's called I, being a teenager. That's right. Yes. Yes. I will say when I first got married and we had like eight o'clock church, we missed a few Sundays that first year. We yeah. Did, but <laughs> New, Newlywed in that age and, and eight o'clock church do not go well together. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, you get graduate from high school. What came next? Graduated from high school. I married young, so I started at Arizona State, um, and I was majoring in English education. I wanted to be a high school English teacher. Mm. Um, I married young. I was nineteen, and tell us how you met your husband. We well, we actually met in the same place we got married, which was the Mesa Temple. Uh, We were both involved in a youth tour guide program that they used to have at the Mesa Temple that I don't think they have anymore, but we gave tours of the grounds to visitors. And so that's where Jay and I met is, is in the youth tour guide program. What better place to meet than at the temple? I mean, <laughs> right? That's pretty awesome. You got married very young. Wow. Yes. 19 years old. Yes. So I always have to ask, uh, when you talk to your kids because there are people I know who get married young. My wife and I got married quickly. We were, I was only 22. So I guess we were young too. But, but, but I always have to ask, do you tell your kids, Hey, maybe wait and wait till you're a little older. Or are you more of the opinion of sure, do it. It worked for us. So I think you're assuming that my children listen to me. (laughs) That's a pretty big assumption. I didn't say they listen. I said, what do you say? (laughs) Um, I have three children who are grown and two who are at home and all three of my grown children got married pretty young. And yeah, I can't say a word because I did the same thing. (laughs) You were the role model for it. I guess. (laughs) So you're a young married couple. You're going to school. Uh, what came next? Yeah. Babies came next. And, and I, and this is when I fell into my career in managing real estate. So that was the end of schooling and a start of a new career that has stayed with me. And um, I started off managing a mini storage, and now I I co-own a commercial real estate management company. So it, I I was sort of miraculously blessed with a career that um, was very perfect for me and my situation. Yeah, there was probably some flexibility when you were yes. raising kids that mm-hmm. uh, you could kind of do things as you needed to do. Not exactly strictly nine to five. Right. Exactly. And what does exactly Jay do? Jay is a um, a payroll director for a large charter school organization right now, and he's done payroll for many years. So wow, that's a, a lot smarter than I am to figure out that kind of stuff. So well, everyone's got to be nice to the payroll guy, so he's got it made at the office. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so you've raised, uh, so you have these kids, and mm-hmm. you guys are just kind of trekking along, and uh, all of a sudden somehow we got to get from these, uh, from these years of raising kids and whatnot over to this book. What, uh, what took you down this path that would lead you to writing a book? You know, I, I can, I can tell you the exact moment that I started on this path, although I didn't know that it was this path at the time. Um, it was October of 2018 in the women's session of general conference. Mm. President Nelson gave a talk and 
I have just this very moment, let the name of it slip out of my head, but look it up, October, 2018, (laughs) uh, the women's session of conference and president Nelson said to the sisters, you have spiritual gifts. And I urge you, he said, I urge you with all my heart to understand what your gifts are, to cultivate them and to use them in in more ways than you ever have before. And then he, he promised us that as we did that, we would change the world. Wow. That's powerful, right? Yes. Uh, uh, let's yeah. see. It's, it's called Sisters Participation in the Gathering of Israel. You are good. You're quick. Wow. I'm going to have so, to definitely check that out. So did you get a feeling that you should do something or that you should do something very specific? I just thought something it Mm. was, this was a very much, okay. Remember the story that you told on one of your podcasts about learning to a new way to barbecue for the contest you were going to. Yes. It was like that. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of missteps, lots of burned chicken and different things. Time to get uncomfortable. Yes. Yes. (laughs) All right. So what was the, so you, you knew you needed to do something. This is fascinating. Alicia. This is great. You knew you needed to do something. What was the first thing you tried or thought? I tried business coaching. Okay. I thought that I would have, because I, I thought at first I took quite a while to try to figure out what my gifts are. That's not easy. But I f- finally came to the conclusion that I was good at writing and teaching and could kind of connect with people, like help them feel God's love for them, that sort of thing, you know? Oh, I love that. Let's talk about this process. I want to hear a little bit more about the process. How did you, like, did you do a worksheet? Did you ask other people what your gifts are? Did you just ponder it? Like, how do you come up with, because I think there are a lot of people who wonder, and there was a recent conference. I think it was, uh, I actually think it was just this past October where it was uh, told, go go ask your spouse what you can work on, which can also be very dangerous. Sure. But uh, but but also, you know, it's it's a way to find out what your talents are and what your strengths are. What was your process? Um, I think I would say that I started by thinking about what brought me joy. Mm. I thought about, or maybe I just started to notice because I was thinking about it, what I was doing when I felt light and uh, fulfilled. And most of the time for me, that would be, you know, I, I sometimes give talks and things at firesides and things like that. And so for me, I noticed that when I was there having that sort of spiritual communion with other people, and um, you could tell that somebody felt something and I felt something at the same time, boy, that just fills me. That gives me a lot of joy. And I, because I was thinking about my gifts, I started to notice that. And I would notice that when I would sit down to write, I, the process is hard. I don't sit down with ideas in my head. I sit down and and have to work, you know? Um, But when I'm done with that day's writing, I feel really good. Like I did what I was supposed to do. Awesome. So I started to notice those moments of joy and lightness and fulfillment and I tagged those moments in my brain <laughs> and, and yes, I talked to other people, but if you're gonna, I recommend if you're going to ask other people what your gifts are that you don't blindside them, a text is great because then they have time to think and to really give you a real answer. So you started off thinking, okay, I'm going to be 
helping people with business. That's how I can change and help. Okay. Well, not just that, but my specific idea was to help people run their business with God as their partner. Mm. So I was specifically trying to bring God into it because I wanted to build the kingdom with what I was doing. I didn't want to just like have a business or try to make money or something like that. Um, And so anyway, that was a complete flop. (laughs) For one thing, I, I didn't like being a coach. I tried it and I didn't like it because I already told you earlier in the podcast, I really like to be prepared. You know, I, yeah. I like, I like writing because I can prepare my thoughts. I like speaking because I can prepare my thoughts beforehand. But when you're coaching, you have no idea what the person on the other, I mean, I guess it's sort of like podcasting. You have no idea what the person on the other end of the microphone is going to say. And it just wasn't my cup of tea. So did you prepare with like, did you take coaching classes or did you, prepare? I did, I, I took a certification course and I got certified as a business coach and tried to draw on my experience and, you know, the real estate world and all of that. And I wrote a course that I actually think is really good, but, um, it just, it just, every time I would do something with it, I just didn't feel good. It wasn't the right path. I tried a path and it wasn't the right path and I had to back up. Yeah. So it sounds like you knew that you had a calling. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, isn't, doesn't it get frustrating sometimes? Yes. Like, I know I have a calling. Why don't you just tell me what the calling is and I'll go do it. Yeah. Sometimes that, there's value in this process, right? I agree. Some things happened that I needed. For example, I learned how to use zoom <laughs> way back then. So when this pandemic hit, I was ready. I knew how to use zoom already. So <laughs> that's huge. Cause you were going to learn it one way or another. Okay. Yeah. So business coaching, boop, it's out. It, it was out. I just did not feel good about it. And so I started, um, I started, I think I started writing this book after that. And I can't remember really what gave me the specific idea of this book, but I've written, I'd written some fiction. I have, I have a, a young adult novel that's out and everything, but I had never written nonfiction. And so I was, I, In addition to doing a lot of research and study in the scriptures and in conference talks, I also went back to certification and took a life coaching certification this time strictly to inform my writing. I knew I wasn't going to be a coach. I'm never going to practice. But it gave me a lot of good material about thoughts and feelings and emotions um, that I could use to inform my writing. So I did that. And tell us the name of the book. It's called Godly Anxiety, Spiritual Tools for Managing Anxiety. And I love that after that, it says a workbook, which I think sometimes we think, I'd like to read a book that heals me. I like the fact that you call out here, hey, you're about to do some work. (laughs) (laughs) So is anxiety something you've struggled with? For sure. Yeah. As I mentioned, I I was an anxious little girl. I, um, my parents would go to church meetings at night and things. And I would, instead of playing with my brothers and sisters, I would just sit in the window and watch for them to come home. I did not like for them to be gone. Um, uh, Sunday nights were really hard for me because I was always very anxious about leaving and going back to school the next day, even though nothing was really wrong at school. It was just, yeah, just a lot of anxiety as a child. Um, and it, it has stayed with me through adulthood. I think that I have learned more and more how to manage it. Um, and, and we can talk about some of the ways that I've done yeah. that in, in my household um, because there are the scope of the book I wrote is spiritual, but spiritual tools are a great foundation for the healing process, but it's not the whole 
kit and caboodle. There's so many other resources that the Lord has provided us with. And so I think the spiritual tools are important for everyone as a foundation. But then I think we need to look around and investigate what else is available and see what makes the most sense for us, you know, to use in our own situation. Well, this is something that's been preached from the pulpit, even in general conference, which is pray, do all the right things, study your scriptures and get help. And so, but I also think sometimes we do the the reverse of that, which is I'm going to get help for my anxiety, but I'm just going to pray about my daily life or whatever. I love that you're taking almost uh, an educational approach to the spiritual side of it, which is kind of what I got out of looking through your book. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I appreciate that. I, a workbook was very important to me because I don't think that reading a book changes you unless it's a really, really exceptional, like the infinite atonement might be an exception to that. You know, that's a really, really exceptional book that can change you. But um, most times, at least for me, I read a book, I enjoy it, I get something out of it, and then I forget about it. So the reason I call this book Godly Anxiety, I know that's a weird name. No, I love it. I was going to ask you about it. <laughs> but it is it is to remind us of sanctifying action. When we have godly sorrow, that's a term more people will understand. Mm. Godly sorrow is sorrow that brings you to your knees. It brings you to repentance. And so godly anxiety is meant to help us think about allowing our anxiety to move us towards sanctifying actions that will bring us closer to the Lord and help us to heal. So a workbook, if you're going to call your book Godly Anxiety and you want it to move people to action, the workbook component is very important because it makes it kind of makes you take action as you're reading, practice what you're learning right in the moment so that you're actually creating change in your life instead of just reading something and forgetting about it. All right. So something you just said kind of blew my mind and I'm trying to process it. I've admitted to our audience many times I'm not the brightest guy. So, but it, it, if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like what you're saying is take your anxiety, apply it, let the anxiety sort of work with you toward good. Mm-hmm. And in doing that good, it will remove the anxiety. Does that well, sound right? It, you're on the right track, but let's not say remove because anxiety. Not remove. Okay, fair point. Here. Yeah, it's not yeah. something we hear. It's a normal part of life. Everybody feels anxiety. I mean, you don't have to quote have anxiety to feel anxiety. You sure. Know? How about it'll it'll ease your it'll yeah ease, it'll help you manage it. It'll help you manage. That's a great mm-hmm. way to put it. Yes. Yeah, so it'll help you manage the anxiety. So it's sort of a redirecting of the anxiety. Is that yes? You you can allow like most of the challenges that God gives us, we can allow that challenge to stagnate us and paralyze us, or we can allow it to move us closer to him. That's sanctifying action, anything that moves us closer to him. So that's what we can allow our anxiety or any other challenge we have to do for us. So what kind of research uh, did you do when, when preparing or while you were writing this book? Well, I spent a lot of time in the scriptures studying stories about fear. There are a lot of scriptures about fear. And some of those pop up in my book. The story of Gideon um, is a great one. He was so fearful the whole time. (laughs) And the Lord just worked with him anyway. You know, he just stuck by him. And I just felt like the lesson I got from that is that the Lord doesn't want us to fear, but he stands by us when we do. He knows it's going to happen sometimes and he sticks with us. He doesn't abandon us because we're feeling a way that's not a perfect 
way of feeling, you know, so so many things I learned from the scriptures about fear. And um, that's a great place for anyone to start is just look up that word and start studying what the Lord has to say about fear. I, I think we have a probably a misleading or a temptation as Latter-day Saints sometimes to glorify not having fear and then to say, oh, this person had fear, but they were able to overcome it rather than their fear led them, you know, to make some decisions or to do good yeah. things or they yeah. figured out, you know, again, managing that fear. I think yes. it's, ah, that's really interesting. All yeah. right. So walk us through, uh, let's take like one part of the book. If someone okay. were right now, we'll, we'll say, we'll say that, uh, somebody wants, wants to know what's in the book. Walk us through one part of it. Okay, so let's just take chapter one. I've got the book right here next to me so I could remember what As chapters do I. I had. <laughs> I have so, it right in front of me too. So each chapter is a different spiritual tool that we focus on. And chap and each each chapter has the same format. I always open with a story because I think it's kind of boring if you don't have any stories in your book, right? So yeah. every chapter has, you're, you're going to know way too much about me by the time you're reading the book, but every chapter starts with a, a good story and and chapter one is, is about keeping our covenant to always remember him. Now, remember, this is a tool that we're going to use to help us manage anxiety. So we talk about practical ways to always remember him because we have to get really practical with this stuff or it doesn't work and, and how that can help us manage our anxiety. So, for example, I ask in the book, how do you, how do you remember a loved one that you've lost? What do you do when you want your kids to remember grandma who's gone? Well, you have answers for that, right? You keep their picture around, you tell stories about them, you say their name. These are all ways that we can remember Christ as well and keep him top of our mind. So we just get really practical like that. Um, and then the next section is going to be, a, it, I call it me work because I don't want it to be called homework because homework is an anxiety inducing term. <laughs> that a hundred percent. You are so right. That is anxiety inducing. <laughs> so we call it me work. We're working on ourselves. And this is the place in the chapter where you get to, where you get to work on what you just learned, put it into practice and do a little work on it. So the me work that goes with chapter one is about the power of pondering. And we, I teach you how to ponder. It's a skill. Pondering is a skill. It's not as easy as it sounds sometimes. It takes a little practice to get good at it. But when, when you practice and get good at it, boy, it's a really powerful way to carry Christ around with you through the day. So we learn oh, how I to ponder. I love that. That's Thank amazing. You. All right. So I have to point out, um, and I haven't fully read the book, but I've, I've read good chunks of it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to use the wrong word. But adorable is the only thing that comes to mind that you have an adorable word for an anxiety. I don't want to say an attack, but when you feel anxiety a building grip. up, <laughs> you have this great word. Tell us the word. I call it the grip. The and grip. Um, that is because that's how it feels to me. That is a word that describes the feeling of anxiety to me. It, it For me, it's around my heart. I feel a gripping sensation around my heart. A lot of people feel it in their stomach and their gut. Um Anxiety manifests itself in physical ways often. So yeah. maybe your heart races or you're a little short of breath or, uh, you know, different things like that. For me, it's the grip. So I just, that's what I call it. I love it. And it's throughout the book, throughout the book. It's <laughs> the grip. I will now forever refer to when I start feeling anxious as the grip. <laughs> it's the grip. It's, it's funny. And, and I call it adorable because it takes, you know, when, when you say anxiety, the, the word anxiety can induce mm -hmm. anxiety. 
Sure. When you call it the grip, it becomes something else that A is visceral mm-hmm. and it really describes it better than anxiety uh, that it's that it's gripping, but it also makes it like real, like, okay, now I can deal with it because I've sort of quantified it. it. You know, yeah, if you yeah. name it, you can tame it. That's what I like to say. <laughs> if you name it, you can tame it. And it, so, yeah, think about, it's like the monster under your bed. If you give that monster under your bed a name, then you know, if you know what the monster is you're dealing with, you know, which tool to grab to engage it, you know? Oh, so I just, yeah, I just feel like if you name it, you can tame it. It's just, I don't know. That's just a little mantra I use. <laughs> so we're dealing with the grip in this book and there are so many great tips in it. The other thing that I love, I've got to say, it's the perfect size book. It's, it's not, you know, 800 pages that yes. you're going to have to spend the rest of your life, but it's also not a pamphlet. It's a substantial book. Um, how, uh, how long did it take you to write the book? Well, first of all, the size was purposeful because again, if someone is dealing with a challenge like anxiety, you don't want to put something in front of them. That's overwhelming. You want to put something in front of them. That's very doable. And so the chapters are short and you can work through one chapter at a time and be done, you know, for a little while. And so it just, everything's kind of bite-sized like that. Um, I've spent probably a year working on it, you know, from beginning to end, because I I just spent a lot of time researching and compiling notes. And then I took my notes and tried to organize them into chapters. And then, you know, I took those, those little blurbs and fleshed them out into chapters. And, and then you have to put it aside for a while so that you can take a fresh look at it later and make sure it's not just complete junk and (laughs) fix it up a little bit and all that. So sure. We've had a lot of authors on the show. And I'm always amazed by the process of, of writing. Uh, Did you hit some walls when, when you were writing, did you hit times where you just kind of weren't sure what to do? I have a couple tools I use to help me when I'm writing that I've learned over the years. I outline in a very odd way, but I use a poster board and sticky notes Hmm. and I just build my chapters on the poster board first. And that's very easy because it's just a little sticky note at a time. And then it's almost impossible to get stuck when you sit down to write because you've got everything already outlined for you. And then my other tip for people who are writing or wanting to write is that when you're done for the day, it's, it's easy and normal to want to end at the end of a chapter, write one more sentence, write Mm. the first sentence of the next chapter, and it'll be so much easier to get back into it the next time. Oh, that is so smart because you can kind of remember where your, where your brain was last time. Do you have a specific time of day that you write? You know, I really go in in bursts when I'm working on a project. I write usually right after lunch, you know, because I've got my day job, too. And so I, I focus on that in the morning. I eat lunch and I take some time to write. And sometimes it's only 20 minutes. Um, and I write a lot on Sundays when I'm working on a project like this that's spiritual in nature. Um, and then once that project's done, I'll go for six months without writing a word. <laughs> Although I, I write every day on Facebook. I try to put little inspirational posts up every day on Facebook. And I love that because it gives me a little bit of that daily fulfillment and joy with that, with just a minimal amount of effort. <laughs> Does that sound bad? <laughs> no, I think that's awesome. It's one of the gifts of Facebook. So, all right. So question, because I am writing my first book. I don't know awesome. that I'll ever do anything with it, but I'm doing it. Okay. So I am always amazed by how I will write, like I'll write probably, you know, 50 pages in a sitting and then go back and realize it's two paragraphs. 
Yeah. What is the deal with that? How do you get through that? Because this is yeah. what drives me nuts. It's all right for 40 minutes straight and it'll just be stream of consciousness. It's so awesome. It is almost nothing. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, writing is more work than most people think it is. I, you know, I'm never going to be that kind of person who just my head is bursting with ideas and I've got to sit down and get them on paper. That just doesn't happen for me. It's just work. Um, so I have to be pretty disciplined about it. You know, like I, my favorite app that I use isn't around anymore. So I have to find a new one, but I use an app that helps me to set word count goals, you know, Mm. for a session, or, you know, if I can only write for 20 minutes, I'll just set a timer. And, you know, so I just, I use, I need those kinds of tools to help me stay disciplined. And then did you edit your own book or did you get an outside editor? Well, both, I, you know, I went through it first. And then I had um, three or four beta readers who looked at it for me, one of whom is professional. And then my sister has a little publishing company where she helps people who are self-publishing. She does all the technical details and everything, which is great because it allows us creative people to just be creative. And so then she took a final look at it for me. And um, also I had, you know, somebody format it because I'm no good at the making it look good part. Sure. (laughs) And then how did you actually go about publishing? Well, my sister did all that for me. <laughs> so she does I, all know, that process. Yeah, I took it and and I was going to go the traditional route with it. You know, send it in to Desert Book or Cedar Ford or whoever. And um, and I sent it to one place and I, I suddenly realized how long that process was going to take. You know, it was like six weeks went by and I got a note that said, sorry, we're not taking any self-help books right now. And so, ah, six weeks, you know, and and the the subject is just so timely. I I felt really urgent, you know, like I can't do this. And so, yeah, I called my sis up and I, and she was very happy to help. And so she just helped me get it out on Amazon. That's what we did. That is just awesome. So if people want to find the book, is Amazon the best way to do it? It is just, just search godly anxiety on Amazon and it'll pop right up. And what's been the feedback on the book so far? You know, I've gotten some really, really kind comments. I I don't, if someone has thought badly of it, they haven't told me yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and, and that's part of the, that's, you know, part of what I love so much about writing is when somebody tells you, Hey, this really helped me. Or, you know, I bought one for each of my children or, you know, something like that. It's just, it feels good. It really does. That is just awesome. It's got to be really rewarding when you, when you set out, and especially I think when people are, uh, you know, when people are looking at your process that you were told, you know, hey, you need to get out and really do something. Yes. You know, it's got to be, it's got to be neat. And gosh, you've got a great review here, brought greater peace. How much can you love that? That's awesome. Yeah, that's nice. So if, if you've got people listening right now going, man. I've had that idea since 1988 that I've always wanted to put into a book. I hear it a lot. I was mm-hmm. on the phone this morning with someone who called me up, a former guest who said, I think it's time for me to do a podcast. I don't know how to start. I know how to mm-hmm. tell people my advice. If you're interested in podcasting, if somebody's thinking, I have always wanted to write a book, what's your advice for them? To do it to do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good advice. I think Spencer W. Kimball had the same advice. Yes, but, but I can't, I can't be more helpful than that, Sean. I'll try to be. If you Um, could, that'd be awesome. I would say that there, 
to be a little bit disciplined about it. Like I've mentioned, it's, it's much easier to write off of an outline, outline your thoughts, get them down on paper, do your research, make sure if you're quoting people or telling stories from other people's lives that you've got it right and accurate, you know, um, and then have other eyes look at it. We all love our own writing. It's, and that's, you can't risk your own opinion as the, <laughs> and, and someone other than your mom needs to look at it too. So, uh, you know, have outside people look at it, people who will be able to be honest with you because there's not, there's not a manuscript, there's not a book out there that didn't start off as a bad manuscript. So every manuscript undergoes lots and lots and lots of changes whether you're with a traditional publisher or you self-publish and you have beta readers or anything like that, just know that the first effort is just a rough draft and that's not going to be what you publish and shouldn't be. So be willing to, uh, to change it and to make it better as you go along. Oh, awesome. I just love this. If people are looking for more insight from you, what's the best way for people to follow you? Oh, I think probably to find me on Facebook. I'm just at Leisha Kreider. Uh, my name is hard to spell, so I don't know how, how I, handy that is. But I was going to say, we're going to spell yeah. it right now. L-E-C-I-A-C-R-I-D-E-R. Yeah. So, so I'm not fancy find enough to have a website or anything, but you can find me on Facebook. You can message me there. And so that's all good. Uh, this morning, the person I was helping out on podcasting, he said, what do I need in a, you know, in a website for my podcast? And I said, I'd if I'm being honest, I wouldn't start a website right now. Go to Facebook, mm-hmm. have a Facebook mm-hmm. and an Instagram page, and you're probably fine. And yeah, I think it's People just fantastic. So the big question, what's next, Leisha? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. I am working on another book. Surprise, hey. surprise. <laughs> and I, I don't I don't know that I have a real title for it, but what I call it in my head is creating your best life, spiritual tools for finding your purpose. So that's my next project and I'm really excited about it and I'm hoping to have it out, you know, by November. So, but don't hold me to that. (laughs) No, Alicia, I love that you're, you're really hitting on themes that people need right now. If people are wondering about giving godly anxiety as a gift, Mm -hmm. you know, there is a little bit of maybe a double-edged sword to it because you give it to somebody, they may go, what, you think I'm anxious? You think I, you know, you think I need this? Talk about, uh, talk about the way that people could give this book as a gift. That's a good question. That's something I haven't really thought of, but I would say that um, just lead with love. Anytime yeah. you're doing something that has a little possibility of going wrong, just lead with love every time and you should be okay. Um, it might. It's always a good idea if you can say, hey, this really helped me and I think it might help you too, you know, is maybe a good way to approach it, but. That was exactly what I was thinking is get the book for yourself, mm-hmm. do the workbook. Uh, but then also to say hey, to someone, hey, you know, I, I heard this podcast, I heard the author. And for some reason, just her philosophies reminded me a lot of you. And uh, so I bought this book for you and and uh, hope you enjoy it. That's I will a beautiful say, way to say it. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a good approach. And, and I take that from having read parts of the book and I plan on going through the whole book. But, but having read parts of it, it's it's the opposite of like, hey, you need help. Here you go. It's the opposite of that. It, to, you take a really beautiful approach to, hey, we all need help. Yeah. Uh, understanding ourselves and understanding our purpose and understanding God and his role in all of these things. And then I guess the last question is, what 
what one, like leave us one tip, one tip. Someone's going to feel anxiety today. They're listening to this now. And then this afternoon, some things are going to blow up or something's not going to go their way or they're, they've got a big interview or something coming up. Mm-hmm. What's one coping thing spiritually that we can do when we start to feel the grip? Yeah, I can do that. Um, this is one that works well for me and also that I've heard the most comments on from people who have read the book that it has been working for them. And that is to have a go-to thought. Have a go-to thought ready that you can place in your mind to replace whatever anxious thoughts you're having. And it has proven in my life to be most effective when my go-to thoughts are about Christ. There's Mm. something really powerful in centering our thoughts on Jesus Christ. So for me, I do things like um, the song, The Miracle by Shauna Belt Edwards has been awesome for me because it goes through all the miracles that Jesus did in his life. So as I think of the words in that song, I can also picture what he was doing. Jesus walked upon the water. He calmed the storm and all these things. So I can picture what's going on. So that really distracts me from my anxious thoughts and helps me to focus on Christ. But I mean, you could memorize the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my my shepherd or a, a paragraph from the living Christ or anything like that. And just have that ready to go so that when the anxious thoughts hit you, you slip it out, replace it with something far better. What a beautiful idea. I love that. Again, the book is called Godly Anxiety, Spiritual Tools for Managing Anxiety, a workbook. It is available on uh, Amazon.com. We will have links to it on our social media, so you can certainly go check it out. And this has just been awesome. I'm so grateful that you chose to to send it out to me. I appreciate it. We're going to wrap up with the question that we ask all of our guests, and that is Leisha Kreider. What does being a member of the church mean to you? Well, as you know, I do listen to your podcast, so I did know you were going to ask me that. <laughs> I'm so glad because usually I have to preface it with, I know I forgot to tell you this, so this is good. No, I am a loyal listener. And in fact, oh, this is, I'll, I, I will answer your question, but I just want to tell you really quick, the first episode of yours I ever listened to, I was driving, we were going on vacation and it was, who wrote the Christmas charge? Jason Wright. Is that his name? Jason Wright. Yes. So I listened to that. And as a writer, that interview just blew me away because I just thought, you know, he wrote this kind of small story, this small book, and it became not just a phenomenal book, but an entire movement, you know, a movement. And that just blew me away. And I was a little jealous, to be honest. And I um, love anyway, it. I was hooked. And so I've been listening ever since then. <laughs> and and Jason Wright, of all the funny things whom I have not spoken with in probably a year and change, uh, called me two hours ago. No way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He and I just caught up with each other. So I That's love Jason really Wright funny. so much. He is an amazing man. So well, that was well, the interview that hooked me. So well, I'm, I'm glad to hear it because Jason is one of my heroes. So yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. So okay, what does so being what a the member of the church mean to you? Yep. So to me, the church means excitement. And I, I know that's kind of a weird answer, but I am just so in love right now and on fire with the gospel of Jesus Christ and my savior, Jesus Christ. And I mean, if you, I just imagine we're daughters and sons of the most powerful, creative, energetic, wise, calm, <laughs> um, you know, generous, loving being in the entire universe. And he says to us, 
if you just love me with all your heart, I'm going to share all of that with you. I'm going to give you part of my spiritual power. I'm going to give you part of my creativity. He does that for me all the time. I'm going to give you part of my calmness. I'm going to give you part of my energy, whatever it is you need. He's got so much of it to draw on. He shares with us. He does that. He keeps his promise. And then we get to turn around and share it with each other. And to me, that's the most fun and exciting thing that there is. And even if you don't realize it, you all, all of your listeners, everyone does this all the time, especially in our little ward families, you know, when we're trying to help and serve each other, we're sharing that those gifts that we get from God with each other. And it's that spiritual communion that I love about being a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Beautiful. She is a wife, a mother, a mother-in-law. She is a property manager as well as an author. The book, once again, is called Godly Anxiety, Spiritual Tools for Managing Anxiety. Alicia Kreider, thank you for sharing your Latter-day life with us. Thank you, Sean. It's been so fun. And my special thanks to my new friend, Leisha Kreider. I am so grateful I got to know Leisha, and she's so easy to talk to. And I think this book is really important. Every one of us deals with anxiety on some level, and she's done incredible research and offers just great tools. Leisha, thank you so much. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life uh, here in the U.S., it is Mother's Day this weekend, and I'm so grateful for Mother's Day. You know, I'm grateful that uh, I have an amazing mother And as a plug, if you'd like to go back, if you search for an episode with Susan Rapier, you get to hear my mom's life story, which is incredible. Uh, But I have such an amazing mom, and she's still alive, and that's a real blessing for me. I have a tremendous wife who is such a blessing as uh, a mother for our eight children. And I just feel very blessed to, to have incredibly powerful women in my life as mothers. And one of the things that I'm grateful for and I appreciate it, is when Mother's Day rolls around in church, it's it's now more acknowledged that Mother's Day and many other holidays can be a mixed blessing. You know, for some people, motherhood, it's it's all joy. We think of our mothers or we think of, for, for some mothers, thinking of their children. But uh, for some people, they may have lost their mother this year. And this Mother's Day is really, really difficult. For some people, they may have a, a really difficult relationship with their mother, and maybe the whole thought of their mother, or maybe for some mothers with their children, maybe they've lost contact, or uh, unfortunately, maybe one of their children has passed away. And so Mother's Day can be really difficult on people at times. Uh, But what a blessing it is to be able to celebrate motherhood. And I think that the, the older I get, the more I realize that it's all a blessing. And that every holiday brings with it some pain (laughs) or some uh, trials or at least some mixed emotions. You know, Christmas is so wonderful. But at the same time, when uh, every year during Christmas now, I think back to my grandparents that I've lost. I think back to Christmas's past. I get a little bit sad that I don't have little kids running around anymore opening presents. And there's a part of my heart that misses that. Uh, Fourth of July for me. Um, about six, well, six years ago, 4th of July, on, on July 3rd, actually, uh, my brother very unexpectedly passed away. So now every 4th of July, I love the 4th of July, love fireworks, love barbecue, love all of that. But I also remember hearing the news that my, my brother had passed. 
and that will always be kind of a mixed emotion for me. What a blessing the atonement is that allows us to celebrate these times, notwithstanding the fact that they might be difficult for us. And that's what the atonement brings. It brings that peace that if we have difficult relationships, or if we have people that we've lost, or if we ourselves feel lost, that the atonement will make up for it, and that in the long run, eternal life is ours. These things will be fixed, and we will not have pain anymore. To those of you who are working hard to be tremendous mothers, God bless you, and thank you for the incredible work that you do. For those of you who are struggling, who don't feel like you're enough, you are enough, and keep working. And so many who want to be mothers and maybe haven't had that opportunity or for whatever reason that opportunity is lost, he is with you. He will comfort you. And one day this will all be figured out. Life is not easy, but what a blessing it is to just know and to have that reassurance that one day we will live again with a loving God. I'm just grateful for it. Grateful for all the very strong, powerful women in my life. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you're enjoying the show, if you could join all the other people who have uh, left us reviews, especially on Apple Podcasts, that's what uh, drives most of the business, uh, we would really appreciate it. If you want to get a hold of me, you can reach out to Sean at LatterdayLives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at LatterdayLives.com. We are also on Facebook and Instagram, and we love interacting with you there. Well, I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there's a great big beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 